Welcome to Conversations with Coley, where we have conversations about subjects we think about but often don't speak about. My name is Nicole Miller, and I'm the author of this book series, A Through Z, Guide to Raising a Good Human, a series I wrote to help in the communication process. Welcome back to another episode of Conversations with Coley. Today I'm talking to Karen Ricks, creator of Our Kitchen Classroom, where they delight in the multi-sensory learning experience that food provides. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Um, This topic, I've been in the restaurant industry for 30 years, so I feel that um, this topic is something that a lot of people don't discuss because they don't, I don't think they know how food correlates to mental health and stress and all the things. So I'm excited to have you. I am excited to be here, Nicole, and I'm always excited to talk about food. (laughs) Good. Me too. (laughs) All right, so first the icebreaker question. Okay. All right, if you were a food, what food would you be? Oh, that's a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) So many foods to choose from, so many possibilities. Honestly, you know, I have to say I'm a chocolate cake. (laughs) Okay. I am rich and dark and everybody wants a piece (laughs) but there's always so much complexity so many layers people just never know what they're getting when they dive in you know what I mean (laughs) yes I looked on your page this morning and I saw your eggs benedict and I said my answer is the eggs benedict all the way it's my favorite it, oh, yours, yeah. yours looks amazing. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. You must be talking about the Mexican-inspired version. I know we have had so much fun with local Mexican ingredients like all summer long. And yeah, Eggs Benedict is a favorite of mine too. So yeah. yeah. And you get all the we- all the different layers. You get that that runny yolk, you get that crispiness of the English muffin and then the pull of the English muffin. So yeah. I love it. And then the silkiness. The rich hollandaise. Yes. The silky rich hollandaise. So yeah. tell everybody about yourself. Well, I am a wife. I'm a mom. I'm an educator and a food lover, even before I take to the title of chef, cook. Uh, I love, love, love to teach and I just love good food and everything just sort of came together in the most organic way between the International Montessori School that I founded in Japan and my infant son on my hip and playing with food with the children in our school. It it was just like (laughs) our, our journey has been a real culinary adventure (laughs) and I I love it too I I feel incredibly blessed yeah I love that so tell everybody that may not know or understand what is a multi-sensory experience in terms of food oh okay well when you really think about all of the the typical five senses that we normally talk about, it's really easy to see how food encompasses all of those things. I mean, you get a chance to see your food and you know whatever beautiful presentation as soon as it arrives in front of you at the table. 
But even more than that, especially if you're involved in the process of sourcing and preparing the food too, you get all of the wonderful combinations of smells as things are cooking or as you're breaking open or shredding or chopping things. You have the textural feel as you're peeling vegetables or chopping fruit and the, the wonderful sensory involvement of digging your hands in while you're mixing a dough. <laughs> and all of these things don't just have the sights and the sounds and the smells, but of course we get a chance to touch and to taste our food. We're, it, we're literally taking it all in through our bodies too. And so we have the sensory experience of the different textures in our mouths and the flavors and the aromas as we're enjoying our food. There is so much involved. And I love food as a learning tool because all of that multi-sensory input really just sets all the neurons firing in the brain and it makes everything connect in the most meaningful and memorable ways. And it's just so exciting. <laughs> very, yes. very personal. Yes. And I love that because when, when working in the food industry, when you have a food or a presentation of a plate that you can appreciate and be proud to give to the person consuming it, it would give me such a pleasure to watch people's reaction to eating the food and how it looked and just, and people were like, Nicole, you really overthink. <laughs> you overthink it, but no, it's it's necessary. It's, it's it's a whole part of the experience. And I laugh because even as a child, <laughs> my younger siblings will tell you, I was the child who spent what they thought was an inordinate amount of time spreading the peanut butter and jelly to make sure it got all the way to the edges of the bread <laughs> before assembling and cutting the sandwiches and arranging them beautifully on the plate before serving. Yeah. So as I look back on, you know, experiences like that, I know that I am where I was always meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that that appreciation um, for the the beauty and the multi-sensory experience that is food has always been a part of who I am. Yeah. So how can multi-sensory eating and, and taking in food be beneficial to mental health? Oh my goodness. Well, I have to say that, you know, I agree with what you said earlier, that it's not something that a lot of people think about, but mindful eating is one of the things that first invited me on a personal journey outside of diet culture and really back to myself. When we really stop and consider all of the different input that we get, the um, social opinions and pressures surrounding what to eat and when and in what quantities, there is a lot of negativity around it. And it's become so commonplace today that many of us don't even question it anymore. But what we, what we have a tendency to feel, what really sticks with us or what stands out, I mentioned that word pressure, but there is a lot of really kind of an encouragement not to listen to ourselves, our own desires, 
for food, whatever that might be. Our, our innate cues for hunger and fullness, usually in some sort of external attempt to fit into some societally accepted mold. And unfortunately, what that does is it often deprives us of the ability to actually just enjoy what we eat and what we drink. And so one of the first things that I love to do, what really kind of took me out of that, as I said, it was mindful eating, but it was more than just being aware of what I was eating or drinking, but it was really enjoying that experience in the same childlike way as the young children with whom I spent so many hours preparing and celebrating the experience of having a meal together. And there is such a, a burden that is lifted from our shoulders when we really and truly enjoy the freedom to just eat and drink and appreciate all of that multi-sensory input without having to compare it to something, you know, as good or bad as, you know, healthy or junk food as, you know, something that you're allowed to have or something that's cheating and, you know, mm -hmm. should kind of be hidden or secret. <laughs> like I said, there's just, there, there's a lot of negativity and pressure that, that really doesn't even register anymore until we take ourselves out of it, until you know we are really able to separate ourselves from it. And looking back on all of the years that I spent really beating myself up for something that I now feel the freedom to enjoy is really such a relief. There's not, I'm not, I'm literally not spending a lot of, mental energy uh, berating myself when yeah. I can just be enjoying. And that is really a huge relief, uh, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. Yeah. I was watching a program about mindful eating in Seattle. There are restaurants in Seattle that you walk in, you sit mm -hmm. down, I don't know that you order anything. I think you're just given something. Yeah, it's and, probably a set course. Yeah, and you just eat. No one says mm -hmm. a word. Mm -hmm. You just are grateful for what you're eating. You're processing how it feels in your mouth all the way down to your stomach. I mean, when I watched this, I was like, I need to do this. I need to do this. <laughs> and it's so true that... Mm -hmm. Here in the States, we think we have to be yammering our gums while we're eating and just consume it, hurry up, get done with this meal because this is then we have to be on to the next thing. Oh, yes, the rushing. I didn't even think about that as one of the added pressures, but that is so true too. And it even goes back before we even sit down to eat, even the process of preparing food uh -huh. has to be fast too. If it takes longer than 30 minutes, then you're wasting your time, right? No. Right. <laughs> yes. yes. So I, I love slow food and I embrace every opportunity to just enjoy all of the sensory experiences, including the preparation and even the cleanup afterward. 
Exactly. And you can include your children. So you're spending good quality time. We exactly. Yeah. We turn on the music and we make homemade things because I found it's less expensive for my family if I cook mm-hmm. from scratch. Yes. It yes. can be tweaked how I like it and my family likes it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It it can be so many things. And then when we sit down and enjoy it and we can kind of look at each other with our mouths full and just kind of give that yes, that mm-hmm. nod, that mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, yes to all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that nowadays we don't think about that stuff. I think that this is something we did maybe in the 80s, in the 70s, maybe the 60s. I don't know. I wasn't really around, but I don't think we do it anymore. I don't think we do it in the modern day. There, There is so much pressure to spend our time and our energy and our effort doing other things. And quite frankly, it's more profitable for those whose business it is to produce the food, the prepared and packaged foods to separate us from the desire even to experience the process of preparing our own foods. But as you mentioned, that's something that I relish doing and something that I have done with my own child and with lots of other children of all ages. And when I say children, I mean adults too, because I'm just a big child at heart. But with children of all ages, when we have the opportunity to really throw ourselves wholeheartedly into that process of selecting and preparing the foods that we really want to enjoy, it is its own special love affair. And it is an amazing, sensual experience. And it's a joy to behold when people are able to step outside of the diet culture norms that they don't even realize they've normalized and really just begin to embrace the beauty of the process Mm -hmm. and find and really satisfy their inner child. I agree 100%. So why is it important to make eating an experience? I think a huge part of the reason that it's important for me personally is because throughout my lifetime, it hasn't always been something that I have been able to enjoy, whether it was a matter of food scarcity in my childhood or just the added pressures of trying to be and do all of the things and keeping up with the the rigors of the rat race. Being in a place now where I have, quite frankly, the luxury of selecting the foods that I actually want to eat and being in a really privileged place of being able to prepare the foods that my family loves, it is a pleasure and a joy to gift them with that experience. It's a gift to all of us because Mm -hmm. it's something that we have the opportunity to share with one another. And it's so important to me for all those reasons, but it's also an important family tradition that we have developed that I feel really obligated 
to pass on to my child so that he doesn't have these same childhood traumas that I have related mm -hmm. to scarcity and lack and fear um, so that he can enter into an adulthood without having to recover from those same kinds of traumas yeah. so that he has a healthier relationship with food and his body and himself and the world around him than I had, quite frankly, when I was growing up. Yeah, and I think that when food is a scarcity, as you're a, when you're a child, especially, I think that you learn to appreciate it more. Absolutely. Food was a scarcity for me growing up as well. And when I felt that rawness in your stomach in the middle of the night because you're so hungry still, it made me appreciate every time I got something hot or something mm -hmm. presented that looked wonderful to consume. And you kids that grow up with less savor when they get what it, everyone takes for granted a lot Absolutely. of people take it for granted that food is just something that we're it's just something we're owed we're supposed to have everyone's supposed to have but they don't think about the people that don't right and obviously in an ideal world everyone would have plenty mm -hmm. and this wouldn't even be an issue but because of that experience, I'm also able to translate through this process how we can take these ideas and concepts and desires that we have in our heads and actually use the work of our hands to create it, to see mm -hmm. those dreams realized, and then to be able to present that realized dream to the world, to share mm -hmm. with our loved ones. And so more than being about just creating a meal. It's really about creating the sort of life that we want to live. And more than anything, I think that's what we as parents want for our children. We want to say, you can be anything, you can do whatever you want. But more often than not, that's not necessarily the example that we live for mm -hmm. them. They mm -hmm. see that our words might not match our deeds. <laughs> yes. I don't want to be that hypocritical example for my child or, you know, anyone else. Uh, and so this process of taking the different foods, the different flavors, the ingredients, learning and studying how we can bring them together and then actually making it happen when that's what we desire. It's a lesson that we take from the kitchen and we spread around everywhere in our life. Absolutely. So explain why presentation is important to everyone, because I've worked in places in the food service industry where mm -hmm. I would say that doesn't look good. And I would <laughs> refuse to take it. And the chef would go, just take it. What does it matter? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk about why that presentation is so important. It, it really, really is important. And it's not something I think, again, you really realize until you see something that like you identified just doesn't look so good. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of thing we take for granted when it's done well. But when it's done poorly, there's a really jarring reaction. I mean, 
we probably all have had that experience where food is placed in front of you and it just doesn't look appetizing. (laughs) And the, the cliche is true for a reason. You know, we eat with our eyes first. You know, what we see on the table before us sets a specific expectation of what we're going to smell, what we're going to feel, what we're going to taste, and how we're going to feel about it. And so when someone has really taken the time to select the plate or the bowl in which something is being served and to lay it out in a really beautiful and appetizing way, it's an invitation to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And we all want to receive a lovely and well thought out invitation before we dive into a meal. And when it looks good, then we can get excited about that prospect. When it doesn't, (laughs) that might make us a little bit concerned or even fearful and not want to eat. And it's one of the reasons that I love encouraging my clients to play with their food. Because the process of putting together a beautiful plate is really something that requires some practice and mm-hmm. experimentation and, and honestly getting things wrong. <laughs> so yeah. Figure out what works and what doesn't. And there is so much, um, you know, of our individual personalities and our own experiences and expectations that go into that process too. So it's different for everyone. But Again, when it when it's wrong, it might not be something that's really easy to identify, but it just it feels wrong. Mm-hmm. But when it's done well, oh, that is really, really something exciting to behold. And like I said, a real invitation for more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause like you mentioned, coming into a eating experience with a child's outlook and the way a child does, when I was five years old, it was important to me that my mother had this specific bowl and I would get excited when I would get this bowl. It was a metal pink bowl. My mm-hmm. rice krispies, milk and sugar would be <laughs> in this bowl. And I appreciated how the sugar stayed in the bottom with the milk. <laughs> and when I would finish the milk, it was still cold because of the metal bowl. And I went through that whole mm-hmm. thing, five years old. Yeah. And I tell my kids and they go, you went really deep into that bowl of cereal. <laughs> yes, I did. And it's the best bowl of cereal I've ever eaten in my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and just the very telling of that story is a reminder of how much all of those different sensory experiences, not they don't just stay with us, but they really continue to shape our expectations in the future. You know, if you were to go for a bowl of cereal now, you would want something that's going to be cold, that's going to help you recall with warm, nostalgic feelings, you know, that first metal bowl of Rice Krispies that helped you to feel safe and secure and loved and well fed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the best thing my mom made me, except <laughs> she's made some stellar peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> so do you teach people how to eat mindfully? Because I think in the rat race of today, not a lot of people know how to do that or go there. Before we even get to the mindful eating, we start with mindful selection and 
investigation of our ingredients. And yes, I am always giving my clients permission to do exactly that because for so many of us from the time that we were young children, we've been taught that that's not what we're supposed to do. You're not supposed to smell your food. You're not supposed to poke at it. You're not supposed to take a, a taste, you know, when you're preparing this or that or the other thing, you're supposed to just chop it up and put it in the bowl and, and be done with it. And that's just not the way we work as human beings. I mean, everybody knows that one of the first things that babies and young children do is grab for stuff and put it in their mouth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have this inherent need as just curious individuals to figure out what stuff is. And one of the best ways that we can do that is by touching and smelling and tasting and feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage my clients to do that at every stage of the process, including if necessary, having extra ingredients on hand. So there's plenty to taste and yes. still make whatever the recipe is that we're having. But by the time we've gone through that process, when it comes to actually eating and enjoying the food, We've already built up such uh, an incredible anticipation for it that it's really a matter of holding space for people to be able to dive in in the way that they've just been dying to do. Yes, I love that. I love that. So why do you think people don't see the healing and preparing and growing and um getting a beautiful dish to enjoy at home. Why do you think people don't really see the, the need for that anymore? They're looking for the quick and the well, easy. In all honesty, we live in a fast food society these days. As I said, you know, there's this expectation that if the basic preparation takes more than 30 minutes, you're wasting your time. Mm -hmm. That food is not important because we have so many other more important draws on our time, our energy, our efforts, our attention. And quite frankly, unfortunately, one of the hallmarks of diet culture really is sending a message that you're not supposed to enjoy your food, right. that it's a luxury, it's an indulgence, um, and that if you are actually enjoying your food, then there must be something bad about it or there must be something wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> simply not true. But again, these are some of the messages that so many of us have internalized for so long that we don't even question it anymore. And so I encourage people to question those things, yes. you know, when people talk about how, oh, you know, they really wanted to have some chocolate cake, but they decided not to because that would be bad and they uh, reached for something else instead. You know, I ask, well, why not? You know, what's wrong with actually enjoying whatever it is you actually want? I feel like too often these days we are finding ourselves unsatisfied. And so much of it starts with the fact that we never allow ourselves to actually find satisfaction in the foods and the drinks that we're taking in. You know, we, we think we have to substitute what we really want for something else that's considered more socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. And if we can't even satisfy our physical hunger, 
how can we honestly begin to truly know and understand ourselves enough to satisfy our emotional and mental and spiritual needs? Yeah. It's just not possible. That's true. That is so true. So talk about why it's important to travel outside of your comfort zone and experience <laughs> different cultures and different foods from a- across the globe. You know, we were talking about how so many of our expectations uh, are set by our experiences. And those experiences aren't just from early childhood, but every experience that we have in our lives, it, it continues to form a framework for what we expect in the future. And I have another amazing world schooling friend who likes to remind us that all of the most amazing growth tends to happen outside of our comfort zone. Yes. (laughs) And I have certainly found that to be true throughout our world schooling experiences. We have found ourselves in a lot of unfamiliar places culturally, linguistically, geographically. Uh, And through that process, obviously, you know, mentally and emotionally too, we find ourselves in new and unfamiliar territory on a regular basis. But what happens is that just like, you know, we exercise our muscles in a gym, You know, this practice of stepping outside our comfort zone actually helps us to exercise the the ability to, to grow, to adapt, to learn to be flexible, to challenge those basic assumptions that we have made because of our experiences in the past and to grow so that we can expand what our expectations might be in the future. And that's really what uh, the way that I like to describe our global culinary adventures <laughs> as yeah. a family. And I remind people all the time that these travels, our world schooling, it's not just about educating our child, but you know, my husband and I are constantly learning through this process as well. And we are always expanding our experiences, our vocabulary, uh, and our palates, you know, when it comes to new to us foods and preparations. Mm -hmm. And all of these things help us to expand our understanding of the people and the world around us and also the possibilities of what can be in the future for ourselves and for everybody and the world as a whole. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I found that experiencing other cultures, cuisine helps connect you almost for that that little half an hour, however long it takes you to have whatever it is. And it really does like expand and broaden your mind into trying new and different things and listening to your body more and saying, okay, these are the things my body likes, because sometimes our bodies will reject what we're sticking into them. This is true. Do you find that in in (laughs) 
in your traveling? Do you find that to be the experience that you're getting? Absolutely. We are learning so much about ourselves every single day. Uh, and that part about connecting to food absolutely does connect us. And one of the reasons I love um, sharing the experience of food preparation with other cooks and chefs and moms and grandmas and children and, you know, everybody who enjoys the process of preparing food too, is that there is so much more about us that is similar than is different. Mm -hmm. And we have so many opportunities to connect, to see the truth of ourselves in one another, even when we don't necessarily speak the same language. Mm -hmm. Food and its preparation has been an amazing method of communication as well. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad that you came on to talk about this because I don't think people associate that food and mental health and 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 physical well-being goes hand in hand and is quite necessary. It is absolutely necessary. And I know that the challenges that so many of us have faced that were the most unexpected over the past couple of years have really been the sorts of mental health challenges of confronting a living situation, a world that was just very different from what we have always been taught to expect. Mm -hmm. And confronting those changes and our discomfort with the changing reality has really, really been challenging. But what's so exciting is that this very simple process of continuing to challenge ourselves uh, and just working to meet our needs with whatever the next meal is, is a process that we can use not only to better understand ourselves, but to work to focus on really being present in the moment to tackle whatever challenges we see right here in front of us mm -hmm. and to carry us into, in the most practical and useful way on a daily basis, um, to give us the assurance that we do have the necessary skills to make it through whatever other challenges are coming our way. Agreed. Agreed. And the other thing that I like is when it's my day off, how I disconnect from the outside world is I might throw on something in my crock pot, turn on mm -hmm. some music, clean my house, spend time with my family, joke around, mm -hmm. just cut up, whatever. But that smell in the house, that aroma, mm -hmm. that excitement of waiting for that crock pot to be finished is what I live for every week. I can't wait for my day off. <laughs> and I think exactly. that a lot of people need to stop and think like, if you break it down that simple, you could really find happiness in those small moments. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the the joy that you're describing in that sensory input, even if it's just the aroma of the food that's cooking in the background while you're enjoying whatever else is going on in your life, those are really important connections for us to continue to make and to share with the people that we love because those connections are a huge part of what many of us have found lacking during mm -hmm. these last couple of years. It's been really challenging. 
So I, I'm so glad that you have that to look forward to. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I help my clients discover for themselves, the ways that they can find those moments of connection and joy and meaningfulness in something as simple as a process that, you know, they may have considered tedious or unimportant before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you offer any programs for our kitchen classroom? I know about it, but how does everybody else find out about it? I sure do. In fact, the best way to find out what's going on is to visit our website at ourkitchenclassroom.com. And you can find me across lots of different social media platforms, too. Uh, we have a business page on Facebook. That's also Our Kitchen Classroom. And a YouTube channel where I offer some uh, demonstrations of a variety of different types of food preparations and snippets into our life and our travels around the world. Uh, you can see pictures of some of those things over on our Instagram channel, hashtag our kitchen classroom. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can reach out to me and all of those different methods. And I offer one-on-one um, -on -one small group classes, things that are live, things that are pre-recorded. And for those that are out and about and traveling in the world again, might even be able to come and join me in person for a face-to-face -face workshop as well. Oh, awesome. I was scrolling the business page and I will tell you, I was like, I hope she does lives. I wanna learn how to make this. <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing. You're plating. Everything is just so exciting. So I am so excited that we connected because now I'm in the audience. I'm on the trail of experiencing food from a different perspective Yes. because you break it down even farther than me. I thought I was crazy. <laughs> Well, I have absolutely been called crazy, but this particular flavor of crazy just happens to love playing with food. <laughs> yes, and and it feels good. I mean, all the words that we used in our conversation were just, I mean, people need to really, I want, I, I hope that from this episode that people will start seeing cooking, gardening, sourcing, um, gathering, all from a different perspective an experience have an experience in a restaurant if you are in the industry of serving people give them an experience that they'll walk away going man i want to go back there again <laughs> yes yes and we relish those experiences we have had the pleasure of enjoying experiences like that all over the world and I, I know that not everyone is necessarily in a position to travel all over the world like I'm able to enjoy with my family, but we give people the tools so that they can experience that in their own kitchen classroom, wherever yes. that might be. Yes. And it's a fun way to travel virtually through our own kitchens. <laughs> yes, I was seeing that. You have a lot of different cultural foods and so i was excited i said i need to i need to this is my branch out right here this is how i'm gonna learn <laughs> do you have well, any oh go ahead i'm sorry oh, i was just gonna say that i have clients all the time who see something and it reminds them of something else that they had as a child and they have you know no sort of context or resources for 
recreating whatever that is. And so I encourage people to send me a friend request or send me an email or a message that says, hey, I saw this, you know, I would love to learn how to make that. How can we make that happen? I love doing that for my clients. Awesome. Awesome. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to share? I really just hope that people come away from our conversation today, as you said, with a desire to reconnect, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the kitchen with themselves, with their loved ones, with the nostalgia of a childhood experience that just makes them feel good. And I want them to give themselves permission to feel good, to indulge in that sense of nostalgia without guilt without fear, without shame, just joy. Yeah. And eat the cake. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Eat the cake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being on my show. For having me, Nicole. It has been a joy and a privilege. I appreciate it. Truly, truly. If you like this and other episodes, please click subscribe, like, and share so others can enjoy them too. Thank you so much for listening.